A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. So you know how I don't, like, open emails or text messages? Yeah. As was documented at some length here. Well, so last week on one on one single day last week, I met three people, three people in person that I had not either opened their emails or their text messages. Oh, three it was people actually, in one day. It was actually quite embarrassing. And were they people? Did you know that you had blanked them, or had their emails just been lost in the swamp? Uh, one had been lost in the ether. Like okay. one was like a, I found it afterwards. <laughs> And then the other one was the other two. I knew they were there, but I hadn't opened them because I didn't have time. I knew that I wouldn't have time to like reply to them, so like I just yeah. didn't open them. But then I had to be like, "Oh my god, like it's so good to see you. I'm so sorry I didn't open your message from two weeks ago." So anyway, listen. I think I've learned a valuable lesson. Yeah. Do you think it's worse to like? So I just don't read the message because if you read it and don't reply, I feel like that's ruder because like you've like you've seen it. And yeah. If they've got it. two, but like you know it's there it. and you're just deciding not to read it because that you think it would be ruder if you did read it. Yeah, even though you know that it's there. It, so like it time. is equally as rude, if not worse, because there's a little bit of thought behind it. Do you know what I mean? Well, it was no thought. It's just I didn't have time to read it. Anyway, <laughs> quite embarrassing. Oh, the show. <laughs> <laughs> Hate mail coming in. <laughs> I won't see it because I don't read them. Yeah. <laughs> along to the latest episode of the group chat i am rich chambers i said the latest because i couldn't remember what episode this was that was very obvious so much for the magnificent seventh episode (laughs) but i am joined by my fellow correspondent zara king hello how are you i'm gavin riley hello there guys how have you been keeping any news Nathan, any news? It, it feels like all the news is the actual news because yeah. it just feels like some of the stories are like, particularly the maternity hospital, which I know we'll talk about in a minute, are so like they're intellectually exhausting as well as just really there's depth to each of these. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you just and because we're recording this on Wednesday night, and I was up till all hours on Tuesday night going to what seemed like a very emergency press conference about the National Maternity Hospital. It just, it just, it has been physically draining as well as mentally tough to get your head around because there's so many different interpretations of things. Just layers on it. Let's go straight into it then. Okay, so the cabinet this week, they held off on approving the planned relocation of the National Maternity Hospital, the new one, uh, from Hollis Street in Dublin 2 to a site on the St. Vincent's Hospital campus in Dublin 4. They have held off effectively to give further consideration amid what are ongoing concerns about the future ethos and governance Mm. of the maternity hospital. Now, there has been a huge level of backlash Mm. about this. This was brought to cabinet by the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly mm-hmm. for sign-off. And the explicit, the explicit plan was sign-off because yeah. there's been some people trying to, to, to retro-spin that as being like, oh, no, no, he was just bringing it to, to have a look down. Just so we'd have a chat about it. And that he went in and he said, oh, you know, there's been this request from the Oireachtas Health Committee, so I better go and do that. That wasn't the plan. The plan was to go in and get it all signed off on and because of a pushback from... Just as it happens, although I don't think this was germane to it, as it happens, most of the female members of Cabinet yeah. mm-hmm. raised some concerns about the governance and looking for more assurances about that everything would be available by way of legal uh, procedures and they've put on the back burner yeah. for Fortnite. It is very interesting how some members, I'm going to say certain members of the government have responded to this, that there has been an understandable backlash. Let's explain that for the first, for the, for, for the first yeah. part for people who, who haven't been um, tuned into this. Um, <laughs> Where do we even start? Yeah, that, that's the National Maternity thing. Hospital. This, this, this row has been going on for many, many years now at this point, Zara, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been going on for a long time. I suppose look, the crucial part of this whole thing is that basically people don't want the new National Maternity Hospital to have any hand actor part of a religious group. That's the sum Bingo. total yeah. of it. That's, that's the summary of it. Um, the land is owned by... 
the religious group sort of subgroup. I mean, it's a... The land is, the land yeah. is owned by a newly established charity. But it's not uh, clear who's involved in that or what the background yeah, so that the, is. This is part of what's kind of so... It's also part of the reason why the, the government decided to put it on ice for a couple of weeks because all of this only happened inside the last week. Literally since the last time we recorded an episode of the group chat, all mm. of this has emerged. So some ministers just don't feel like they've had a chance to get their heads around all of this. The St. Vincent's uh, Holdings, which is the parent company behind the Vincent's Public and Private Hospitals and St. Michael's and Leary. It was, until recently enough, completely owned by the Religious Sisters of Charity, mm. a religious order. They have divested themselves of it because they say they want to give it over, they want no involvement in the running of healthcare anymore. So they've created this new charity and they have divested all the assets into this charity. And the charity says in its constitution that it doesn't have any religious influence, but the charity's constitution also has some religious terminology within it. For example, it talks about its five core principles. And the core principles include uh, being a voice for the voiceless and the recognition of human dignity, which sounds fairly, you know, blasé and, and grand and mild on the face of it. But those are also the values, literally word for word, of Mother Mary Aikenhead, who founded the religious order that was behind Vincent's. So even at that level, there's sort of concern or ambiguity as to whether this new charity has a religious basis or not. But where it all really, where the rubber hits the, the road in all of this is that the state decided nine years ago that it wanted to build this hospital beside an existing adult hospital. And that's best practice now because you want to have a children's hospital and then if something serious emerges, instead of having to put them in an ambulance and bring them five miles down the road as they currently do from Hollis Street, there's another hospital on the same site, integrated care, everyone's happy. They chose Vincent's and the problem then with Vincent's is that at the time they chose it, Vincent's was owned by a religious group. And there are some concerns which have never been, no one is truly on the same page around how true this is, but concerns around whether having a religious landlord, if even you do have a religious landlord, because that's ambiguous, mm. um, can influence to some degree what you do in the hospital. And that's where things are, are really up in the air, because if, for example, you have a, uh, a, a group of nuns, for argument's sake, who own the land upon which you build a hospital, can the landlords stay or do they have any kind of sway in saying, no, you can't do that on the land because it's against our core ethos? And that's really where the ambiguity is. And that, that's why yeah. all of this is so grubby and messy. And such an important thing. But obviously, the, the obvious question is, why not just buy the land? And the government would tell you that what they have right now is the best of both worlds because they have an arrangement. Sorry, that's my button hitting off the desk there. Sorry for the, the acoustics for that. They would tell you that it's the best of both worlds because they would say what they have now is a 299-year lease where they only pay 10 euro a year to rent the land and they have an explicit contractual agreement from the landlord that they will be allowed to conduct all legal services, which means abortions, which are obviously that's where what we're really talking about. But here. why not, for the sake of the few bob, just buy the land? I, uh, this is the question which has been posed by multiple people. Yeah who have a stake in this, whether that be Peter Boyle, whether that be people um, who have long been um, campaigning for the public ownership of the National Maternity Hospital mm. and opposition politicians, some of them who have a legal background. And it is important to say as well that two members of the HSE board uh, voted against this. Yes. One of them is an expert in the in, legal framework in, in the legal around these such and things. medical ethics, yeah. That point, I think, has been lost so much in the last number of days. Yeah. When you have the government coming out saying... 
quite forcefully, I think, if you're asking about how Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, has reacted to this, mm. basically using words like, this is a red herring, this idea about the ownership, um, coming out saying, basically, there's no issue here, X, Y, and Z, there's no ambiguity. Well, there's clearly enough ambiguity yeah. for a legal expert on the HSE board to not vote for it. And as another illustration of the, the conflict and how different people interpret things in different ways, actually, let's, let's play the listeners a couple of clips to see what they think of this. Because last night when I was at that press conference, I asked about this whole arrangement. I said, listen, if this were a brand new site that you'd start from scratch, you'd, the state would be funding the site, the state would operate the site, the state would own the site, and the state would own the new hospital. You wouldn't have this weird hybrid ownership structure. So what is the virtue of what we've got right now? And what you're about to hear is an argument from Rona Mahoney, the former master of Hollis Street. She's on the, a member of this new board of the holdings company, where she says there's actually no problem with that, only then to be followed by Peter Boylan, who was here on The Tonight Show, who says, actually, there is. The whole point of this development is that we are co-locating with St. Vincent's hospitals that all services will be available to women. So we want to run the hospitals that all the maternity services are there and all services permissible under Irish law will be provided. But in addition, the hospitals will function as one hospital and should we need clinicians from Vincent's, they can simply walk across the corridor and they can deliver care to our patients. And that is what this is all about. If it's co-located, it doesn't have to be owned by St. Vincent's. The Children's Hospital is not going to be owned by St. James's. There's many, many examples all around the world of proper co-location, not integration of corporate and clinical governance, which is what St. Vincent's have freely talked about in all of their publications, their annual reports and so on. So it's not actually, the current structure is not proper co-location. Okay, well, you can see both, both, both viewpoints on the same issue and how different their point of view mm. can be. Mm. But Sarah, there has been such a strong feeling from mm -hmm. so many people about this. When you hear government ministers sort of say, nothing to see here. Mm. Stephen Donnelly, another thing he said there yesterday was sort of um, on Tuesday evening, he was sort of saying, oh, it's a good line for people to, to say, oh, the Vatican and all that sort of stuff. I think obviously there's a very understandable reason why yeah. women across the country in particular yeah. would have strong feelings of, well, we can't just take your word for this. Yeah, and I just think that women like don't trust the system and like, you can understand why they don't trust the system. Women feel like they have been uh, told one thing in the past and something else has transpired. This happens on a regular basis uh, for women, particularly in maternity care. Even if we go back as recently as the pandemic and we saw the struggles that women went through in the pandemic, uh, giving birth with their partners left out in the car. And I covered a lot of those stories at the time. Um, you know, women go into the maternity system, particularly if it's their first baby, they're nervous, they're anxious, they want to make sure that the care they need is there the whole way through the pregnancy, whatever decisions they have to make in the duration of that pregnancy. So you can completely understand uh, why women in Ireland in 2022 uh, look back over the history of this country and say it's not acceptable to them that there would be any religious hand uh, on maternity services. It's a complete no-go area for women and you can understand that. Absolutely. I think it's also one of those cases like increasingly common in the 21st century where and I don't say this to, to be pejorative against one side or the other, but there, there's kind of the factual side and then there's the feelings side because mm. the government has published all the documentation and it's got the contract between the, the landlord and the HSE. And the landlord is committing in law, it's there in writing, that they're, they're committing to allow the full gamut of legally permissible services. There is a question about that though, Gavin, about in the constitution of the hospital and about the phrase which you're referring to about or everything that's legal, but also clinically appropriate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the fact that yeah. there is, like, if it is so unambiguous, 
spell it out there. Yes. Uh, spell it out and, specifically and, all and of clearly, the legal procedures that could take place at the National Maternity Hospital. And evidently there is ambiguity because that's a point of contention that people have raised. People, Absolutely. people just read the document and go, well, hang on, who gets to decide what is clinically appropriate? Does that mean that a doctor who is opposed to the termination of pregnancies can basically veto your request to access one of the medical grounds. The government's explanation on that, by the way, is that they said um, what is clinically appropriate because it's a maternity hospital and they, it wouldn't be clinically appropriate for the hospital to start getting into oncology or neurology or dialysis or all these other lines of medicine which have nothing to do with the production and welfare of children. So they, that, they said that's what they meant by clinically appropriate. But of course, there's phraseology which is open to interpretation by other people and the concern that if somebody wants an elective termination of their pregnancy because they've got complications and the hospital says, no, not clinically appropriate, will they actually be able to access? And that, that's kind of where a lot of the ambiguity is. And, and we're in a situation now where even if you actually, uh, if, you know, if you're fine with all the, the legal stuff, that the contract is there, the contract says, yes, you can offer the full services. If you don't, by the way, the HSE has the right to step in and, and seize and basically buy the land, which it does. So on the face of it, all the legal kind of safeguards are there as long as you share their understanding of the words. But you still get back to the whole thing of, well, why does it need to be owned by a religious formed charity anyway? Yeah. And that, that's where people just never going to be. I just think that comes back to the bottom line, particularly for women, as you mentioned there. I just think that, you know, it's very recent history for women in Ireland. When we look back, even just as close as mother and baby homes, it's not that long ago. There's women that my mother went to school with who would have been in mother and baby homes and gave up their children. So, you know, I think the way women have been treated in maternity services, there is an historical legacy in this country with that. And I think it's very understandable that women would have a reservation about this. I suppose on the flip side of all this and what we haven't discussed is the urgent need for a new national oh, charity yeah. hospital yeah. and the fact that actually the more time that drags on that need becomes greater because you know maternity hospitals are, are wedged and, and yeah. facilities are under an awful lot of pressure. But this is the thing that this has like the, the same controversy around this has existed and it's been floating in the background for years and years and years and I do think I remember Leo Varadkar raising concern about the arrangement about the holding company only a couple of years ago, that this has just been allowed to drag on and drag on and drag on. And I think a lot of people are also quite confused about the fact that it was only a couple of years ago that the Vatican had approved effectively the gifting of mm -hmm. St. Vincent's. And, but again, but the, the gifting to whom? Yes, because exactly. It was, it was said at the time that they were going to gift it to the Irish people or to the Irish state. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what they did was gift it to a charity that they themselves set up and which doesn't appear to be kind of answerable to anyone in particular. And is there good transparency within that charity? Do we know who are the main players? We, we know that? who the three directors are right now because yeah. that was all published last week and you can identify them. I don't have their names to hand, but they're, they're publicly available and they're yeah. all, they're, they're, um, one of them is a pharmacist and then two of them are actually members of staff okay. of, of the existing Vincent's or Hollis Street. So they're all quite eminent clinicians. But the question almost is, is to whom does it answer? And in a funny way, when people say, you know, they want full independence for the hospital, actually what they want is not full independence because independence means you're answerable to no one, including the state. What they actually probably really want is dependence where you have like the direct state intervention to say, these are the services that are legal and we demand that they be provided. And in a funny way, we're now getting to a point where, where no arrangement will suit everybody because you, you with the Taoiseach standing up at the door today saying no question about all of that. He said, by the way, we basically own the land because it's a 299 year lease and we're only paying a tenner a year. That's basically ownership, which is great news to all of our listeners who've been wondering about the crazy house prices. And by the way, thank you to all of the feedback we got on that yeah. last week oh, and we'll yeah, get back yeah, to that. But all those people now <laughs> worrying about, you know, renting their property. 
Bingo, lads. You, you now I mean, apparently are property owners because the Taoiseach says that's ten, basically a ownership. A year for South Dublin you know? is a good deal. But yeah. uh, look, like if it's about money, just buy the land. But I mean, look, that's time consuming as well in itself because a compulsory purchase yeah, order would take... And, and, how long and, would that take, do you reckon? Well, it, it could... In principle, it could, could be done very easily because it depends on whether they okay. resist it or not. Uh, and the argument would be, well, if the sisters were prepared to transfer their ownership to this new charity, then why would they resist handing it over to the state itself? But then again, they chose not to hand it directly to the state. They created a charity and there must be a reason for that. So they mm. might well resist it. And that could tie it up in the courts. And like I said, you know, we urgently need the hospital. I've had the privilege of being in Hollow Street a bit for the last, twice in the last three years. Yeah. Um, the, the clinicians are brilliant, but the facilities are Victorian and they're not fit for the 21st century. So they need something new. And the more bureaucracy that you go through, the longer it is before you turn this on. Yeah. yeah. So this is going to come back then in a couple of weeks' time again, mm. would the effort from the government be being to convince everybody that everything is tickety-boo. Yeah. So, but there's one thing which I do think needs to be probably commented upon about this, is that there's so much of, and it, and it has happened regularly enough whenever anything happens with regards to the government, is that they point to, oh, communication was the issue. Mm. And it's like, I, there's an element of me which is like, is that the biggest cop-out of all time, yeah. is that you always say that, com that communication is a problem, as opposed to is, yeah. all the ducks aren't in a row here. Yeah. If the HSE's deputy chairwoman is unconvinced yeah. that the legal framework which they're talking about here doesn't have the yeah. certainty which we need, mm. well then why would the members of the public believe yeah. that that is the case? The women of Ireland aren't happy with this decision, just stop and listen yeah. to them. But, the, oh, but if it's a communications issue, that means that the substance is all okay, it's yeah. just how we told you about it, which, which in a funny mm. way then is almost comes across as patronising as well, because they're like, no, no, Zara, you no, didn't understand the, deal, the deal is fine. You just yeah. don't understand it. Like, yeah, you guys yeah. aren't lawyers and the lawyers are fine with it. So, so trust us. So the lawyers trust us. Have got this. We're the government. Yeah. We know best. Yeah. So this will all come back. They'll go back to government in a couple of weeks' time. But, but before people hear the next episode of the group chat, um, Stephen Donnelly is going to be in front of the health committee next Wednesday morning. He's going to have to answer some of those questions. He's going to need to come with fairly robust answers because there's some members of cabinet who are literally sitting on the fence until they are happy that everyone else is happy. And there's also the prospect that critics of the project, like Peter Boylan, are also going to be called in front of the committee. So if Peter Boylan were to be called in first, for example, and he raised some concerns, <clears throat> and Stephen Donnelly is not seen to completely put them to bed, then some of those debates are still going to be live by the time it goes back to Cabinet. And mm. if they didn't sign off on it this week, why would they sign off on it mm. in two more weeks? So, who knows? Well, let's monitor it. Let's see what happens then over the course of those two weeks. And, of course, the issue of the government using communications as the thing to blame. We'll come back to you later on oh, yeah. in this very program. But this did arrive on the same day, and there was a strange synergy yeah. um, based on the news that was coming out of the United States at, the same, at pretty much the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the uh, scoop, effectively, from Politico, the um, news website, and that the Supreme Court had published or had put together a draft opinion which would effectively overturn... Uh, Roe versus Wade, which is the United States constitutional guarantee to the right for an abortion, which has existed for over 50 years. And that appears now to be in serious jeopardy. Which is a huge political issue uh, on that side of the ocean because there's midterm elections coming up in five or six months. And now suddenly this has energized people because if it turns out that judges can eliminate a woman's access to an abortion, just as judges, by the way, created in the first place, um, then isn't that, isn't that the sort of thing that should be written in law? I mean, it's the end product of, of what we've had for the last couple of years of courts becoming political playthings, where it's pretty evident now, especially after Donald Trump was able to squeeze somebody in a month before he lost the election. He got Amy Coney Barrett in because Ruth Gader Ginsburg died. And there's now this conservative majority. And this is likely what you're going to see every time a landmark case comes back before the court, where they have the ability, which they don't have in Ireland, to basically revisit and rewrite 
their previous decisions. So now, instead of it being a full national guaranteed right to have access to a termination, um, that it will depend on which state you live in, uh, which is, as we've had the debates here, probably going to send a lot of people underground instead. Sarah, what did you make? Yeah, I mean, like, I suppose it was interesting to see the reaction to it yesterday. Women were so upset across the United States about it, and I thought it was interesting. The one point that came up all the time was that changing this won't won't minimise or, or reduce the number of abortions. It will just mm. re- reduce the number of safe abortions, and that women will still need to access that service, but unfortunately it will, it will drive it underground. I think that that's probably the reality of this as well. Um, you know, it was quite shocking, actually, I thought, yesterday to see this unfolding. You know, it was um, it was a really shocking. I think the reaction, I mean, even to see the political reaction in the States was huge. You know, p- politicians crying, you know, upset about this. It was a really devastating mm. situation for them yesterday. It's, it's so interesting, just the political side of the whole thing. Like, Gavin, you were mentioning the fact that the Supreme Court has basically, all right, we'll get in a conservative guy if I'm a conservative president, or mm. I'll get in a liberal guy if I'm a liberal president, and how much... You know, jiggery pokery has existed to try and tilt the the, the overall majority in that court yeah. mm. to the six three that it is now in terms of conservatives. Mm. What I find, and I think a lot of people find really confusing, is the fact that the Democrats, the liberal side of things, nominally at least, have the presidency. They have the House. Congress, yes, mm. yeah. so the House and the Senate, yeah. and they're just like, how could you guys do this to us? Yes. and you have yeah. Joe Biden coming out well, saying, you guys, yeah. we're gonna, we're, we'll do stuff. We, yeah. we need to elect like, more people to do it. It's like you literally control the, all of the other is, things. There's a, such an amount of shapes been thrown and, and play acting going on because even particularly like Barack Obama put out a statement yesterday himself and Michelle Obama saying that this was terrible, that it was basically the country colonizing women's uteruses, and that this absolutely couldn't be stood for, and yet. Barack Obama was in power for eight years, had a bigger majority in his first term than Joe Biden does now. He could get more stuff done in in the House and in the Senate. He, nor any other Democrat or Liberal president, never chose to enshrine it in actual law. So the, the national federal right to an abortion in America has only ever existed because a court said that you had it. And they never decided, oh yeah, no, let's, let's, let's really bed that down so that no judges can ever unpick it again. And they never thought to. And lo and behold, guess what happens? It turns out that you've got a conservative court that says that right doesn't exist anymore. One thing about this is you start to hear the legal opinions of other people who are like, okay, what does this actually mean going forward? And because this was such an unthinkable thing that some of the people who are on the Supreme Court who are conservatives, when they were getting approved onto the Supreme Court, were like, yeah, no, we're not going to touch Roe versus Wade. That's settled law. There are so many things which previously came under the, 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 the jurisdiction of effectively states decide their own thing, which are so taken for granted as a, a civil mm. and constitutional right now that some legal experts are like, well, what does this mean for things like contraception? Mm. What does this mean for uh, marriage equality? Segregation. What does this Segregated mean schools. for... Yeah, so, like mm. these things have become somehow an open question and that is kind of crazy to think about, Zara, when you think yeah, about it. Yeah, it is kind of frightening. I know I was actually, though, I suppose I was listening to someone today who was talking about the fact that um, in terms of the marriage equality issue that it won't necessarily change, that there's a bit more security around that. But I think the fact that all these sort of social issues that are important to people's lives are now being thrown into question is really... Really shocking. Yeah, but it's the danger of leaving all these things up to courts rather than politicians ever just nailing their colours to the mast and legislating for it themselves. A um, little bit of trivia about uh, Roe versus Wade. It was the, the, the fact that Roe versus Wade happened, that the American Supreme Court suddenly identified a right to an abortion. That's what ultimately led to the Eighth Amendment in Ireland mm. because the pro-life campaign here were worried, as were others around the world, 
were worried that if there was nothing in the constitution to stop you, that some judge somewhere would just magic up the right to uh, an abortion, that you could, they'd say, oh, there's nothing here constraining you from terminating a pregnancy, so fire away. And it was the fear of the United States or Ireland doing something similar that ultimately led to the campaign for the Eighth Amendment, which is then why we had the referendum in 1983, and that's where we ended up then for the last 40 years. Yeah. Mm. One of the things a lot of uh, our listeners were asking is basically what happens next. We've kind of alluded to the fact that the Democrats are saying to voters, well, go out and vote people who will fight for this. Is like, well, people who vote for the Democrats would probably have expected the, the current Democrats the current to do yeah. regime to yeah. do it. So in terms of what the Democrats will, will do mm. about this in terms of legislation or anything like that, uh, absolutely nothing <laughs> appears to be the overall um, yeah, view of currently true. about this. But it is going to be one which I think is going to roll on and on. There's just uh, a, a, one note, though, about the, the fact that the report came out in the first place. That this is totally uncharted territory that a draft Supreme Court opinion would get leaked in this way. And Politico, in fairness, what a scoop, by the way. But um, Politico did acknowledge in the reporting that sometimes you can have draft opinions, which are then almost the subject of horse trading. That it, like, it is quite literally a very political court that some people say, well, if you remove this line of argument, then I might be prepared to get on board with the, the majority view on this. Or that there's some scope for negotiation. So it will actually be interesting to see when, when the full ruling does come, which I think is due in not for another two or three months. Um, when it does come, Will it actually reflect the same viewpoints, or will it be quite as strident in in its uh, in its views or in its rationale for doing it, or will it have been diluted in certain ways because of the, the pushback that there's been to the draft? Let's wait and see. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, one thing over the weekend that a lot of people will have seen uh, and will be probably a little bit surprised about. It was wild. Is the fact that the Russian state television uh, decided (laughs) to... I didn't know where you were going there. um, They decided to mock up Ireland getting washed away under a big nuclear tsunami. What what was your initial reactions are when you saw the clip? I mean... Like, it was kind of surreal, to be honest, with Gav getting a group chat text there. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I mean, it was I'm, totally I'm on airplane mode. I don't know how that happened. I'm sorry. Oh, your yeah. Wi-Fi turned on. Oh, um, honestly, I, I was like, is this actually real? Uh, the graphics weren't great quality, really, were they? They were poor enough. I just want to, just for, when you work in television, you have to request, like, the graphics department to put things together. Who's putting that graphic request in, like, you know what I mean? I'd love to, I'd love to be there in, in Moscow where they're ringing up the graphics department saying, right, we need a big tsunami which is going to go over Ireland and Britain. And yeah, no, Ireland doesn't come back on the map after the tsunami goes yeah, over. Yeah, mm. just, yeah, um, there's just a little radioactive symbol where Ireland yeah. used to be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the radioactive like, symbol was quite poor, as well. I thought it was. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't the best work, no, no. But um, this... We can like, laugh at it, we can but it's kind it, but of not serious, that funny either. Yeah. yeah, there's a serious implication to this. I mean, defence experts will say, well, Russia doesn't have a weapon that can actually do that. swamp us and have yeah. us swimming around in radioactive water. Yeah. But they do have real weapons, yeah. which are weapons. equally 
worrying and Which, terrifying. Which there was another animation that, that that they were shown using, by the way, because people are all like, "Oh, this this animation." There there were two animations. So there was one, uh, the the sea bound one, this kind of underwater nuclear uh, sub missile mm. thing. Um, which, by the way, wouldn't that just be a kamikaze mission? Wouldn't you be like condemning the, the sub launching that to instant obliteration as well? I don't know whether they've, they've thought that through. But that one did completely obliterate Ireland. But there was also an airborne one which was intended only for the United Kingdom. But, you know, it's hard to see how you could launch a nuclear weapon that would obliterate all of the United Kingdom but somehow stop at Carlingford Lock. Or that it would take, you know, Straban but not Lifford. Like, it's kind of hard to imagine, you know? It's kind of amazing, though, the amount of people that, like, I know who said to me, like, did you see this thing? And they believe that it's going to happen. Like, you know, this is kind of the other side yes. as well, isn't it? Like, we always talk about this, like, what you can believe and not believe that you see online. Mm. The amount of people who said to me, did you see this thing? Like, Russia's going to wipe out Ireland. And I was like, well, actually, no. <laughs> uh, that's not <laughs> really what's official happening plan. here. Yeah. Like, that spoiler, is a big, like, uh, again, like, that kind of was a bit of an issue for a day or two, you know? Like, definitely have people spoiler. saying that it was... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's interesting the guy who did this um dimitri kasalyov who's a, a frightfully colorful character he is regarded as being very close to vladimir putin he's actually on the eu sanctions list as well but he's currently on holiday in dubai so the threat of nuclear war hasn't put him off his jolly ears anyway <laughs> so he's been walking around today in a, in a peach uh, a peach um peach swim shorts i think is probably the nicest yeah, thing yeah, so yeah, yeah. Catching, yeah. um what he's wearing next sunday night then on, on russia one when he's doing his next nuclear wave well, he well, look he'll be well rested by the next time he threatens our decimation anyway you know but um, should say there, there was a context to it they were talking about uh, it, this was in response to Liz Truss the British Foreign Secretary who had been talking about she hadn't really been talking about it but they interpreted what she had said to be some kind of nuclear threat to Russia so this was all framed as being retaliation for mm. a British strike it wasn't that they were just getting trigger happy or itchy fingers and they decided oh screw it let's wipe out Ireland is it know? not mad though that we're all just a bit like ah yeah sure look that's Russia making a casual joke about wiping us out. Like, I don't know, I just think if it was any other country, would we not react a bit differently or would we not, you know, like, I just think, yeah. isn't it mad that we're now at a point where we're sort of like, ah, ah yeah, like, that's, that, that's, what, that's what they do. The thing about it's it is, mad. yeah, like, the thing about it is as well, it's like, we, we can be here and be dismissive of it. Yeah. But it doesn't go on Russia 1, which is state television, without yeah. this being something which is thought to have the approval of the Kremlin, mm -hmm. that this is the sort of thing that they put out. And you hear Vladimir Putin talking a lot more about, well, we'll white strike back of the West with X, Y, and Z. So this is kind of what we now have to expect as the rhetoric coming mm -hmm. from Russia. So um, if there's any more animations coming, we'll be sure to bring them to you. <laughs> yeah. But Zara, um, earlier on today, this is, I'm recording on Wednesday, of course, yeah. uh, we got to hear from Dr. Tony Hulhan, yes. um, whose job, of course, uh, was infamously cancelled by himself um, yeah. in Trinity College Dublin. A instance of self-cancellation yeah. in this modern day. Yeah. But there's been so much, um, I suppose, column inches uh, used over this. This was very much an anticipated committee meeting. I in think terms last of week we called it a pay-per-view committee, a popcorn committee. Did it live up to billing? <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't really probably as spicy as we thought it was going to be just in terms of the exchanges, did we? I mean, we definitely thought last week that it was going to be a bit more kind of heated. It did get a bit robust at times. Uh, at one particular moment, it got very robust. Um, look, uh, Tony Hulan actually hasn't been out in public. I can't remember the last time. Can you, he was out doing media? Like, I haven't seen no, Tony Hulan in public for a couple of months Maybe on the fringes of, yeah. like, late January when the COVID restrictions were lifted, maybe yeah. a, around that, but I've seen very little I of him the since then. I think the last time I interviewed Tony Hulan, and bearing in mind I've covered this pandemic for two years, was actually probably before Christmas. Like, I don't think I've seen Tony Hulan 
about four months. So he was out on me for the first time being a public... Um, with Robert Watt? With Robert Watt, yes, who's the Secretary General at the Department of Health. They were before the Oireachtas Health Committee uh, this morning to answer questions about that. Now, Council, it's a comment. Um, exactly how did it come about? Particular questions about the funding of it. That €2 million Euro that was committed to Trinity College in that um, letter of uh, intent that was sent back in March by Robert Watt to Trinity College saying, look, we're going to give you two million a year for this. Um, Stephen Donnelly didn't know about that when that letter was sent. So that was the kind of key part of this. Um, and questions being asked then about whether Robert Watt had somewhat overstepped the mark in terms of, you know, I think David Conlan described it as you know, incredible arrogance that he would commit this, this public money mm. uh, to Trinity College uh, without the minister knowing about it. And that was the, that was the nub then, I suppose, yeah. of everybody's questions today yeah. and the commentary from fairly shocked opposition health spokespeople yes. about how this was all run and it was all about how come you didn't tell the minister Stephen Donnelly about this well how come you didn't tell the secretary general the most senior civil servant in the department of the Taoiseach that this was the plan that you were signing off yeah. on what was in that letter commits uh, to uh, use this money for, for this yeah, particular role. Robert Watt's response to that would be, oh, well, it says in the letter that the details were going to be ironed out. Like, there was still a lot of work to be done and this was a HR issue and, you know, it's an internal issue within, like, the Department of Health with, with a staff member. I suppose the, the argument from committee members was this is quite a high-profile member of staff and that actually, you know, you knew it was going to make headlines. And he did know it was going to make headlines because he said himself that he didn't want this to leak. This mm. conversation with Tony Hulin about him moving on to a new role, the role not yet identified, kind of began last August, so sort of last summer. Um, and then obviously throughout the winter we saw the pandemic, you know, in terms of the case numbers going back up again. So it was a kind of commercially sensitive, if you want to call it that, piece of information that Tony Hulan was thinking of moving on. They didn't want it to leak and uh, Robert Watt would have said today that, again, it was a communications issue. It was how uh, it was explained to people, was a big factor in all of this and that actually <laughs> it was leaked and therefore they didn't really get a chance to tell you all of the details the day they put the press release out. So, well, they, they put the press release well, out themselves. That they were going to be that they were going to be basically out, and they had to put the release out because they've been okay. told they've been a, a basically a what's the word? a request had gone into the press office yes. about it. Okay. Yeah, a query had gone into right. a query had gone into the press office about it. So communications yeah. again the Once issue. Again, that's the big issue here. Richard. But Zara, will lessons be learned? Oh, <laughs> lessons will be learned. <laughs> Honestly, oh, like there's so going to be so many learnings you're not going to know. No, no lessons will, they will be learned. No lessons will be learned. That was definitely, they will, yeah. No lessons well, will be learned. What we did learn is that Tony Houlihan may be willing to be talked back into Tony taking Houlihan some sort of similar role. Tony Houlihan almost sort of grinning with delight when asked if he would, uh, he was asked by a number of committee members if, you know, could he be persuaded to change his mind? And here's what he had to say. When I saw that the way that this is unfolding, what I didn't want to do was to hang on and continue to perpetuate insofar as, and I'm not suggesting that, that, that I was in a position to exercise control over how this would play out, but that insofar as that was a factor, that I would, I would make a, a clear decision and make that decision quickly and, and early. Um, and that's what I did. Okay. Could you be persuaded to think again? Well, nobody. <laughs> Nobody thus far has sought to persuade me. So, okay. I mean, that's a hypothetical situation if, you, if I say to you with respect. Okay, but it's not a no. 
No, it wasn't an hour. No, okay. And I think that's important. Do you know, like for anyone who's not, if you're listening to this in the podcast, please go watch the video of that. I think you can hear the it's smiles. It's the are. grin, like it's the, yeah. I think this is not like, over yet at all. Please ask me to go back to Trinity. Well, you please, don't know. Please, I, please. This is not over. Now, Trinity College was very clear and it was said again today, look, they were really keen. The CMO had had conversations, we're told, with a number of third level institutions. It was Trinity was the one that was kind of uh, most keen to create the position, but very clear they weren't going to pay for it. Um, so. which, which is the real nub of it though, <laughs> yeah, because the question is, then yeah. is, <laughs> well, we, we want it, but we don't have to do anything it's to like get saying it. I want. I want Lionel Messi to talk out for my local fivers team, but I don't want to pay for him. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Uh, yeah. But the, the, it kind of goes back to the number of it, though, with, with Robert Watt being accused of kind of overstepping the mark mm-hmm. by just deciding that, that Tony Hulham would bring with him a research budget, which no one had created or hadn't been yes. set aside or wasn't even budgeted for this year. So it was supposed to be paid by this entity called the Health Research Board. Yeah. Uh, but it was supposed to be start to, start to be paid this coming July. And they, they had no idea it was coming. They hadn't even been told they were doing this. So Robert Watt was just deciding unilaterally that he had the power to the assign a budget. Yeah. yeah, and he was kind of saying that, look, this was €2 million Euro out of a potential €900 million that that board was going to have to spend. So he was trying to get, illustrate the fact that it was kind of what he would have described, didn't say it directly, a drop, a drop in the ocean. But um, I don't think this is over somehow. I what do you mean? Don't. Do you think... I don't know. I just have a feeling that maybe like we might see Tony Hulin back working in the public service at some point. I don't know, just that question today and the way he answered it, I thought was very interesting. Like we've been covering Tony Hulin for two years now, you know, sometimes reading between the lines, I just wonder, is it possible that we may see him in some sort of public role down the line? I remember somebody making the point to me a couple of weeks ago that surely the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris, who was such a vocal fan of Tony Hulin's at the time, Mm. would surely be able to find the money down the back of some couch to fund a new third level position. Don't be talking about money down the back of couches now, can we? We'll be before the pack before you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want. I don't want an inquest. Into no this. public money from backs and couches um, now. All about board. Well, what I do think is interesting. Um, before we wrap on this, I think it is that it is very interesting to see what had been sort of you sort of had it, had it increasingly whispered about and talked about by journalists and by politicians over the last couple of years. Is like how. How come all these civil servants are running the country and don't seem to ask too many, you know, for permission for a lot of things from governments? How important these guys are becoming? It's interesting that that has now been sort of dragged out into the cold light of day. Mm. The politicians are now being like, hey, you can't do that. That's incredibly Sean, arrogant. Or- Sean Kine asked Robert Watt, would he consider going on Dancing with the Stars? He's become so famous. <laughs> Like that's how the committee was, was there an answer oh he said he'd spare the Irish public his dancing but like that was the first <laughs> question at the committee today was like you know Mr Watt you're so famous you've become you know famous in some cases for the right and wrong reasons or whatever and sort of teasing him and said would you consider doing dancing with the stars which is you know bizarre did you pick up or was there a little bit of shade by the way when uh, Hulham was asked about you know are you allowed to take on other roles that don't conflict with your, your day job and he was yeah. like as far as I'm aware there's no, there's no conflict I don't but that you're perfectly allowed to take on a side job and there's plenty of people in the public service who sit do, on, yeah. who, who write books or who, who sit on boards. He mm. said, not looking at the man sitting beside him who's on the board of the FAI, who's also the Secretary General of the Department of Health. Oh, did yeah. anyone else pick up on that? I didn't even think of that, actually, no. Yeah, he was sitting, yeah. sitting there Subtext. beside Robert Watt. I actually yeah. did not think of that. This is like a director's that. commentary for the, for, the, for, the, for the health committee here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that is the commitment there, is that lessons will be learned. And we hope that you, our listeners, have learned some lessons from today's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> what broadcasting? Uh, <laughs> we have been the group chat. This has been episode seven, apparently, of the group chat. <laughs> episode eight next week. But uh, thank you to Zara. Thank you to Gavin. Thanks and thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you next Bye. week. Bye, guys.
This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.